Hey, thanks for tuning in. The audio presented to you is copyrighted by Oak Ridge Baptist Church. You know, pray with me, please. Dear Lord, God, I pray for your grace and your wisdom that I would be able to effectively handle that which is holy this morning. God, that I would speak your words to your people that I would be filled with your Holy Spirit and anointed for the preaching of your word this morning. God, that I would be overcome by your power so that the words that I speak would transform the lives of the people that hear it. God, I ask all these things in the strong name of your son, Jesus. Amen. If you have not had the opportunity yet to watch uh, the TV show, The Chosen, I would encourage you to watch that show. You can get it for free online. Uh, You can watch it on your TV. It is probably the best Christian TV show I have ever seen. It is super not cheesy. And that says a lot. It is fantastic. The episode we, we saw, it was a couple of nights ago. It was Jesus sending out his disciples. You guys remember the story from the gospel of Matthew. Jesus gathers his disciples and he's like, hey, I'm going to send you out. Right? I'm going to send you out and you're going to go do all the things that I've been doing. You're going to go and cast out demons. You're going to go heal the sick. You're going to preach the word. Um, and, he, and, he, and he preps these guys. And in the, in the TV show, it's fantastic because they really capture the authentic response of people that have been told to do that which is incredible. They're like, how are we going to do that? (laughs) You're Jesus, we're not. And then somebody else is like, well, we're going to go out with like just one cloak. You don't, we're not even going to bring like a change of clothes. We're not going to bring any food with us or money with us. How's that going to work, Jesus? How am I going to function? How am I going to live? He tells them to rely on him and that God will, will carry them through. I, I found that to be incredibly moving for me. In fact, every time I watch this show, I end up crying. My kids look over me. I'm just weeping like a little girl whenever I watch this stuff. But when I watch that, I, I can remember the time in my life when God called me into ministry when, when he told me that I was going to have to quit my job. I mean, you, you got to realize that in my life, almost my entire life was built around me trying to be less like my parents and more like my uncle. My parents, I love them, fantastic people, felt like we were always broke growing up, right? Felt like we were always, you know, struggling to, to, to make ends meet. And, and it was always a struggle. And my uncle, man, he always had it put together. He, he made good decisions with his money and, 
And he, so he had lots of money to buy stuff and he was always like really well put together and, and was just like drove a new car every six months and had a boat and had toys. And I was like, I want to be like that. I want to have money. I want to make good choices. I want to do wise things with my money. And so throughout my entire adolescence and then, you know, I, I, I listen, what, what kind of a 14 year old listens to Dave Ramsey? That was me. I was a Dave Ramsey kid. I was eating it up. Got into college, got out of college, got a job. I was making good money, living in a nice house. I was doing the things that I was supposed to do. I was living my life the way that I thought that I should. I was like the, you guys ever watch Thomas the Train? There's, I make good decisions, right? That was me. I was the guy, I make good decisions. And then God told me to make a terrible decision. He's like, quit your job. I was like, but I'm not independently wealthy. <laughs> I mean, we can make that deal, God, if you want. He's like, quit your job. I was like, how am I going to pay for health insurance? He was like, quit your job. I was like, but my wife doesn't work. He said, quit your job. And I remember laying in bed awake on the night before I was supposed to go into my boss's office and hand in my letter of resignation, and I just sat there all night as image after image flooded into my mind of what would happen when I didn't have a paycheck. I saw my family on the street. I saw my kids getting cancer. I saw all kinds of stuff horrible, horrible visions in my head of what would happen if I was faithful to God. Guys, at some point in the Christian life, we will have to decide who we are and what we're going to do. It's one thing to sit and listen to sermons or read the Bible and compartmentalize the Christian life into something that we hear. And it's quite another thing to begin to obey the things that God has called us to do. Because he's so often our anxiety about life limits our ability to do that which God has called us to. In fact, the single biggest thing that is probably holding God's church back from being effective in the world around us is fear. Fear of our budget. Fear of the unknown. Fear of the people around us. Fear. And yet we are the one group of people on earth who have the least to fear. We, we are the people of God. We don't worship a false idol. We, we don't, we're, we're not like the followers of Baal who cried out to God and cut themselves and their God ignored them because he didn't exist. We worship the Lord of hosts. And so Jesus this morning included in his model prayer is this one line that we're going to try to take apart and really look at. Because Jesus wants his disciples to live their lives outside of anxiety. 
in boldness and not in fear. Last week, we began our examination of the Lord's Prayer, His model prayer, the thing that He told us that we're supposed to do, the way that we're supposed to pray. We looked at it, remember, and we saw that it was broken down really into two sections. Two sections, each with three kind of uh, commands or supplications in there. The first part, is all about our relationship to God. It's us asking God to glorify himself, right? Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. These are all things that we're telling God, do this, Lord, make your name great. Make your will known. Bring heaven down to earth. Magnify yourself, O Lord. That song that we just sang up there on on the the screens, immortal, invisible, God only wise, is just a declaration of who God is. His majesty and his wonder. All prayer should begin with that. With adoration. So we come into the presence of God. But prayer doesn't stay there. And so the second section in the Lord's Prayer is all about the things that we need from God. And what does it start out with? Give us this day our daily bread. Oh, there's so much there, guys. In the English version of the Bible, it's seven words. But it's seven words that encompasses the vast majority of our life. Those seven words make up the majority of our interaction with God on a daily basis. Why is Jesus telling us to do this? Well, he's telling us that it is okay for us to rely on God for our daily needs. we got to... Un- To understand this command a little bit more and what it means, we've got to look down a little bit further, though. See, Jesus doesn't just leave us with, give us this day our daily bread. In about 15 verses, he's going to expand on what all of this means, what this looks like. And so I want us to look a little bit further down to see what God's provision means in the life of his children. The first thing that we're going to see is that God's provision means contentment. So look down in verse 26. Chapter 6, verse 26. This is what Jesus says. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or stow away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they are? This is Jesus very clearly telling his disciples that God will provide them with food. Now, this is a little bit, if we're honest, for most of us. Now, I'm sure there are some folks in here today who have have dealt with real poverty, okay? And I don't want to minimize that at all, okay? But outside of war, there has never been a time in my life when I did not have a sufficient amount of food, okay? Now, there were times when I was hungry, but that was because I was a teenager, okay? And teenagers are always hungry. 
by and large, most of us have never really dealt with hunger, okay? Jesus is talking to people for whom hunger is a very real danger. Remember, let's look at the context. Jesus has gone up on the hill. The people from the surrounding area have followed him up on this mountain, and he is telling them the law. These are not the rich people in Jerusalem. This is not the Romans. These are the poor people from northern Galilee, a people who were, by and large, subsistence farmers or connected to the subsistence farming economy. These are people who, if you have a bad year, if it doesn't rain, you starve to death. There's no HEB that you can go down to and be like, well, you know, supply chain problems. I guess I'm not going to have avocados this week. Oh, I suffer. Just Buñuelos today for me. <laughs> no, these are people who, if it doesn't grow out of the ground, they're going to die. These are people who feel acutely their connection with nature, who feel very, very dependent upon God. And yet, what is Jesus telling them? He's saying, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. God will provide. And, and this isn't an idle statement on the part of Jesus. This isn't just some platitude, like one of these you know, televangelist preachers being like, just you'll be blessed. No, this is Jesus. And he is speaking to them from the proven history of God's revealed will in Scripture. Throughout all of human existence, God has been providing his people. And we have this dysfunctional relationship with that provision. All the way back in the Garden of Eden, right? What does God do? Makes Adam, makes Eve, puts them in a garden. They're naked, running around, naked with food everywhere. He said, you can eat anything you want. You have all things that you can eat. And yet God's people look at that provision and they're like, well, but what about that food? I mean, this food is good, but that food looks like it might be better. I don't know what it tastes like. I, all I want is that one food that I can't have. And then they take it and then everything falls apart. And it goes on and on and on from there. Later on, as, as God is, is, is creating a people for himself, Abraham and his family in the, in the land of the promise will go through periods of famine and God will always provide for them in the midst of famine. And then later on as Israel is, is coming out of slavery, he brings them out into the wilderness and, and God's people are, are there and there's millions of them and they're in the desert and what does God do for them? He provides the manna, but he does it in a really interesting way. Those of you guys who don't know the story, God comes to his people and he says, every day I want you to wake up, go out and on the ground, there's going to be this stuff. And we're not really sure exactly what it is. It's like frost, but it kind of has, it looks like coriander and then, but it's sweet like honey and you can turn it into cakes and we're not really sure. It's called manna. I, when I think about it, I think of like vanilla wafers. In my mind, that's what it is. It's vanilla wafers. Because you know, they're not like, it's not, a vanilla wafer isn't like cake. It's like a cookie that could be real food. You're not really sure. Okay. That's what it was. It was vanilla wafers. So they go out every morning and they can pick up all the Nilla wafers that they want. Okay? And he tells them, he says, go out, eat your fill, 
but don't take more than you need. And so the first time they go out there, you have the people out there like me who are like, oh, some manila wafers are good. All the manila wafers are going to be better. And so you get like all this stuff and you put it in and you eat all you can. Mm, and then you wake up the next morning and the rest of it's gone rotten. It doesn't matter how much or how little you gather, God is providing. But he's only providing today's food. Okay? This is the lesson that he's telling Israel. Like, listen to me. Do not try to hedge the future. Live now and trust me. Okay? By the way, that goes against everything our culture is built on. Okay? Our culture is built on interest and insurance, all of which are there to hedge out the future. So this is completely alien. If it feels weird, it is weird. But it's not weird because God is weird. It's weird because you're weird. Okay, just so we're clear. Later on, the people are going to come into the land. And he's going to do something that is equally counterintuitive. You know what he's going to tell them? He's going to give them the land. He said, I'm going to give you all of this. All the land. Work it. Make produce. But once every seven years, you can't plant anything. You can't harvest anything. You have to let the land go to rest and you have to trust me that I will provide food for you as a nation. Can you imagine what that would have been like? An entire year where nobody harvests or plants anything. Where everything is just kind of like, uh, like scavenged, like berries and stuff like that or honey, things you can get. You let the, let the land rest. Super counterintuitive. So counterintuitive that Israel immediately didn't do it. <laughs> they stopped. Over and over and over again, God says, trust me to give you the food that you need. And over and over again, we say, uh, no. Our way's better. God provides for the birds of the sky and he provides for his people in the past and he can be expected to provide for his people now. See, God wants his people to know that he is a good God and that his people should trust that he will provide them with the food necessary for their daily life. But it just doesn't end there either. Because it's not just food that God is going to provide. God will provide his children with clothing as well. See, the provision goes beyond food and water. It goes to everything that we need to be able to live our lives. That's what God is promising that he's going to give us. That's a big promise. That's a huge promise. But what does he say? And why do you worry about your clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in his entire splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. And, and there's, there's, there is, there's precedent for this as well. Back to the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve sin. They know that they're naked. What do they do? They try to clothe themselves with a fig leaf. Right? 
They try to make like a grass skirt for themselves to cover the nakedness that now they know that they have. What does God do? He kills one of his own animals and makes clothing for them. He covers their sin through death and the shedding of blood. And over and over and over again, God provides for his people. In the desert, as they're whining and griping about having to eat Nilla wafers every single day, what does God do? He makes their clothes not wear out. Their shoes don't fall apart in 40 years. I can't keep my family in clothes for six months, but their clothes don't wear out for 40 years. This morning, I was sitting in my room, desperately trying to sew up my favorite pair of jeans. I'm like, Jesus, please make my clothes not wear out. I don't have other jeans that fit. They all shrink in the wash. That's right, you know, testify back there. And God makes the clothes not wear out for them. Why? Because he's trying to teach them to rely on him completely. He's trying to paint the image that we serve a good and sovereign God who loves us and has promised to provide for us. Do you believe that? These are the promises that we find in Scripture. This is Jesus talking to us. And I got to ask you, do you live like that's actually true? Because by and large, for most of my life, I haven't. As I sat there in bed, I worried that God would not provide. That God would not show up. In fact, I even prayed that. God, I hope you show up. What kind of an arrogant prayer is that? To pray to the faithful God of the universe. Man, I hope hope you're as good as your word. A little dubious. But here's the deal, guys. God always, always shows up. And somehow we're always surprised at it, right? Two and a half years later. I'd quit my job to go to seminary. We had lived off of savings, I guess. I don't know where the money came from. Our clothes hadn't worn out. I mean, my clothes literally hadn't worn out. I was wearing the same pair of shoes that I had. We never ran out of food. Nobody got sick. Every time that I had been almost out of money, God provided money for me. I had a guy that, I, that was at the school that I was, that I was at. I called him my fairy godfather because he'd be like, hey, do you need some more scholarship money? I'm like, okay, yeah. How much do you need? Well, that's, that's what we have. Cool. And I was surprised. Like, wow, this is amazing. God's like, really? You're surprised that the sovereign God of the universe provides for you? God has promised to provide for his people with what they need to live. Now, this doesn't mean that we're not going to have to struggle or work or plan in life. One of the things that God does when we come into the garden, right? He gives us work. Work is a good and godly thing. After the fall, he says, you're going to have to struggle to bring forth food from that ground. It's not a promise that we're going to be wealthy. 
This is a promise that God will provide a means and an opportunity to provide for ourselves and our families. It means that at no point will we be outside of the loving grasp of a good God who is all-powerful. We don't live to eat and we don't live to work or survive. We live to bring glory to the God who created us and provides for us. And yet, we are beset on all sides by the fear that God will let us down. Even though God has been faithful in the past, even though he has provided for us over and above anything that we could imagine or deserve, we still doubt him. You know what the number one... I want you to think about this. The United States is one of the richest countries in the world. We can quibble about who is actually the richest country. Is it really us? Is it Brunei? Is it per cap? Whatever. 60% of the world doesn't have an indoor flush toilet, okay? So if you live in the United States, you're better off than 60% of the rest of the world, okay? If you're living here, there's a reason why Even when people are mad living in the United States, they don't ever leave. Like, oh, I'm so mad. This is a horrible place. Well, why are you still here? Oh, because it's still better than any place else. Okay? And yet, what's, you know what our, one of our number one problems here in one of the richest countries in the world with the biggest military and, and and a social safety, you know what the problem is? Anxiety. We're worried. We spend more on stealth bombers than any other country in the world, and we're the ones that are worried. We are the children of a loving God who is in control of all things, and yet we spend our lives in constant worry. And when we do that, we deny the goodness of God. We abandon the joy that God has intended for us to do. This is what he says a little bit later on in verse 31. Do not worry. It's not an option. He's not like, hey, you know, it'd be cool if you didn't worry. Hey, you know, you know, I really like it if you didn't worry. No, it's a command. It's an imperative. Do not worry. Then saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or where will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek after all these things. For your heavenly father knows that you need all these things, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will care for itself for each day has enough trouble of its own. Worry is pointless. Anxiety, and I say this as a man who suffers from crushing anxiety. Okay, please hear me. I'm not sitting up here being like, well, if you were as holy as me, you would never be scared. No, I wake up in the middle of the night scared out of my mind. Worried about everything. And that worry is pointless. Jesus said this, he said, and who of you by being worried can add a single hour to your life? Worry and anxiety does not fix our problems, guys. Worry and anxiety robs us of the joy of the life that we have right now. When things are bad, 
We worry that they could get worse. When things are good, we worry that they could get bad. And we never live in the midst of the joy that God's given us. And all of this, guys, you know what this is all about? This is about us wanting to have power over our lives. See, we, we don't want to rely on God. We want to create a cushion inside which we can ignore God. That's the story of the man with the barns, right? He goes into his barn. He's like, so, so, look at all that I have. I have stored up and worked hard. Now I will live in peace. Like that right there is the American dream. We want to get enough stuff that we can coast. And you know what Jesus says? You fool. Your soul will be demanded of you tonight. You cannot escape the hand of the living God. You have to rely on him. And so we learn to come, overcome our anxiety by trusting in the things that he says as we understand that he holds the power of life and death. That we live within the human condition. What does Job say? A person's days are determined. You have decreed the number of the months and have set the limits and he can't exceed them. And yet we worry constantly about health. Oh, brothers and sisters. What Jesus is telling us to do right now is to live in the present. To live and enjoy the things that God is giving us now. Because if we try to live in the past, we're overcome by regrets. There's nothing we can do about the things that have passed. And if we try to live in the future, we deal with the uncertainties over which we have no control. God is calling on us to live now in the provision that God has given to us because we don't know what tomorrow brings. And so he calls on us when we pray to say, give us this day our daily bread. Oh, brothers and sisters, God is a good God who has control over all things. And he will provide to us the things that we need. He will provide us the food that we need and the clothing that we need. It may not be brand name clothing, but there is clothing to be had. But more than that, he will give us the strength and ability to get through this life. He will give us peace in the face of tragedy. And he will give us strength in the time of trial. He will give us hope when the world is closing in on us. And he will bring new life from the ashes of that which is broken. So Jesus wants his disciples to learn to live contentedly in the present, relying on a good God to provide for their daily needs. He's not a disinterested watchmaker that wound up the world and let it go. He is an all-powerful and all-knowing and intimately involved in everything that happens in his world. And he's also a God that knows us and loves us. 
And so, brothers and sisters, one of the biggest things that we can take away from this this morning is that we can overcome anxiety by clinging to the truth that we are children of a good God who loves us and is in control of all things. Now, I know that many of you in this room suffer from anxiety. I suffer from anxiety. And we know that there's different levels of this. But I want to encourage you. Anxiety is the devil's tool to distract you from the love and provision of God. Our enemy that stalks us is a liar. He lies to us. He tells us that our God doesn't care about us. And so the way that you fight the devil's lies is by speaking truth to yourself. You know what I do when I wake up in the middle of the night and the devil starts reminding me of all the mistakes that I've made and all the ways my life is going to fall apart because of them? I recite this psalm. But I trust in you, O Lord, for I say you are my God. My times are in your hands. Save me from the hands of my enemy. Listen to me, guys. Everything in our lives right now are in the hands of God. Your life is in the hands of God. This nation is in the hands of God. Your times are in the hands of God. And if he has proven one thing throughout time, it is that he is faithful and he is true. And I found that for myself, that is the only thing that can get me through those evenings when my heart is racing and my palms are sweating and I'm lying awake. I recite that over and over and over again. The first time I read that in the Bible, I pulled out my Bible, I just opened it to one point. I did the thing that I tell you guys never to do, just open the Bible. No, I did it. And I came to that psalm and I read it and peace came over me like a flood.